When we think about disgrace, what does that mean? To diss something means to belittle or say something or someone are not enough. To disvalue them, to dishonor them, to displace them. So whenever we look at disgrace, we are taking the all-sufficient grace of God and we always allow it, we want to say it's to what we do right or what we do wrong or how we perceive God and how we behave before God. Sure, holiness is a key part of grace, but grace and holiness are synonymous. You can't really live a holy life unless you're living through the grace of God. And through his grace, you're enabled and empowered to live holy. What's that mean? Hagios, separated from the world or evil use to a God use. And God created you to use you. He gave you the great commission to commission with you to do his will in the earth, to reconcile all men, all women, all humans back to him. Now, when we think about grace and we think about how that we can get into a place where we look at ourselves or someone else and we disvalue, we demean them, what does that mean? That means that we are, we are showing disrespect. respect. And sometimes, many of us Christians, we disrespect ourselves. We discount ourselves. We dishonor ourselves. And the reason we do that is because we haven't came to the point in revelation that we have concerning God and who he is and what he does and why, why he even created us in the first place. And we don't understand grace Grace is God's divine enablement power. Grace is God's power living inside you, able to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. Yes, grace is an unmerited or undeserved gift or free favor from God. And as we begin, there's some other things I'm going to share with you what grace is. But today, I'm going to talk to you about part two about grace. What is it? Sufficient. Sufficiency. All sufficiency. Grace is all. Well, what's sufficient mean? Sufficient means as though you were going into a restaurant and eating and there was this amazing buffet table, not Golden Corral, but maybe Jeff Ruby's, right? Something like that, right? Right, Zach? So you got this amazing, and you just go up and you fill your plate. And you, you go up and fill your plate. And you can't hold anything else. That might be a concept when you do. You can't, you can't, you just fill it up, you can't hold it. And, and, and you're just sitting there and there's more plates that you can take. There's all sufficiency at the table, but your capacity is limited. And you can only receive from the sufficiency of God to the point you make your capacity available to God. We're trying to get things in. We really need to get things out. We got to get mindsets out that are anti-Christ. Oh, I'd have an anti-Christ mindset? How can I have an anti-Christ mindset and I'm a Christian? Antichrist means Christ, Christos, means the anointed one and his anointed. Jesus is the anointed Messiah. He is the anointed one and the anointed. So therefore, whenever we are anti-anointing or anti-anointed one, when you're anti to the anointed one, you're anti to the, one of the great virtues of Jesus is his anointing and his presence and his glory and his manifestation. Now, the Bible says, I can blow your mind. I don't know why I got on it. Here I go again. I think it's 3rd John or 2nd John. 
where it says there are many antichrists in the earth even now during biblical times. Now, we know through Scripture there is one main antichrist, and he could be here present in the earth right now or coming, but there is the one major antichrist, but we forget about the little antichrists, the little ones that hate the anointing of God, the little ones that hate the presence of God, the little ones that don't like, you know why people don't like the anointing? is because it's the manifested presence of God, and when it's the manifest, and when God shows up, what's in you lights up. When God's light, his presence comes, presence comes, his revelation comes, and we can either bask in who we are in him and receive grace, which is all sufficient for our shortcomings, our failures, our sin, and everything else, or what can we do? We can turn the light on and, and, and have condemnation in our heart that we're disgraced. We're, di we're dishonored to God. We're uh, devalued before God. We're dismissed before God. And what I'm wanting to get in your spirit during this series is get rid of disgrace. Stop dissing yourself. Because when you diss yourself, you diss God. Elder Mark said it so well, right, that God is a creator. And we are in, made in his image and his likeness. And Jesus, when he came and died and rose again, what he became grace for us, Romans 5 says. And we are saved. The only way we could be saved is by grace through faith. So the only way I can be saved is through Jesus. And having faith in believing who Jesus is and always will be. And when I get that revelation, now what? I am a child of God. But I, 1 Peter 2.9 says, I become what part of the chosen generation, the royal priesthood, to show forth the praises of God who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. So you could focus on the darkness in you that you need to overcome, or you could focus on the light of God. Whenever you focus on the light of God, it's greater than the darkness, and then it begins to reveal the power and the creative power of God of who Christ is in you, the hope of glory, the hope of manifested presence, and that manifested presence in you will dispel the darkness. What's that mean? It will begin to remove desires in your heart that cause you to think, say, or do dark things. You know, Paul said in one scripture, I, you know, I, I try not to do the things I do, and I do the things that I don't want to do, and I don't want to do things I need to do, but I do them anyway. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament by the Spirit of God. And he had to walk through this revelation. And what I love about it, when you start talking about the all-sufficient grace of God, we come to Paul here, and I touched on it last week. I'll just hit it lightly, 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 12. And we see Paul is having a conversation with God because I won't read the whole passage, that 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 through 10, but beginning in verse 7, he said, man, God, what are you going to do? I got this messenger from Satan buffeting me. Now, a lot of scholars or scholarless people, they, or not scholars people, but scholars wisdom and revelation, try to bring that down to, you've heard it, well, it was a thorn in his flesh. Paul had pussy eyes. I mean, some of the craziest stuff you ever, no, the thorn, he tells you what it is. It's a messenger from Satan. He's a thorn. You ever had someone you know at work and they just got a thorn in your flesh? 
Well, there's grace that's sufficient to get rid of. I'm sorry. So, <laughs> there's a thorn in your flesh, right? Someone you do, oh, God, oh. it stirs your flesh up, right? They stir your flesh up. And Paul had this messenger from Satan assigned to him to buffet him, to be a thorn in his humanity. His humanity. You see, Jesus was 100% God and 100% man, Philippians tells us, right? He was born to a virgin as a baby, right? And then he rose up, but he was still 100% God, even though he set that power aside to receive the power from God and grace from God so he could give it to us and redeem mankind. The law, Romans 5 said, was given through Moses, but grace came, and grace is Jesus. And therefore, since Jesus is here, he is all-sufficient for all things. So Paul is like you and I. He's walking through Revelation. He's battling things in his mind and flesh. I mean, when you get imprisoned and you get stoned to almost to death and you're shipwrecked and you're snake-bitten, but you're still anointed in God, that means that doesn't mean, you know, well, what's buffeting? Well, how many times did he get stoned and left out by the city? How many times was he in jail? How many times was he beaten? How many times was he persecuted? How many times was he threatened? He was in a ship with chains on, going to Rome to be judged, and the ship wrecked in a great storm. He said, don't be concerned because the angel of the Lord came to him. Because Paul didn't have the revelation to speak faith over the storm at that point, he's still learning revelation. So God sent an angel to him and said, don't be concerned. This, storm, this ship is not going to wreck. It will make its course. If God has to, if your heart's right, he'll send an angel to speak to you if he has to get through to you some way, somehow, if you will trust his grace. And then Paul spoke, don't worry, everyone. Oh, we're going to crash. We're going we're to drown. Don't worry. I was already had an angel from the Lord visit, and we're going to go to the other side. I thought that, but they thought, this crazy preacher who's already going to jail and probably be killed for sharing this goofy stuff. Sure enough, the storm was called Rockladon. It means it's like a hurricane almost. And it split the ship in half and it splintered it. And as they all were floating and getting to the side, trying not to drown, Paul is like, it's going to wreck, but you're going to make it to the other side. Don't worry about it. You're going to make it. And then he's out gathering sticks because everybody else is probably in shock laying on the shore, right? Doing a good deed, right? Doing a good deed. And he's out gathering sticks with his, with his shackles on to make a fire. And he gets bitten by a snake. Gets bitten by a snake. I mean, that's, that's not a good day. You're shackled, going to go away to be judged and probably killed. You're in a ship. It wrecks. And the very people that have you captive, you're trying to do a good deed and encourage them and, and even build a fire for their comfort. And you get bit by a stinking snake. But he did not die because that's what the Great Commission says. No deadly thing shall what? No serpent. The Great Commission is what? Whom he saved. Uh, oh, this is First Peter 2, 9. But what does it say that we are what? Saved, whom he saved and, and are baptized. What? We shall heal the sick, cast out demons. No deadly thing shall hurt them. And what was it about snakes or serpents? Huh? They shall take up serpents and they shall not hurt them. Now, there's some people goofy in religion, tempting God. That's their problem. There are really churches that still, even in Kentucky and West Virginia, that, that handle snakes and they, they'll get up and preach. Well, if you want to waste your faith on that, you might want to waste your faith on new teeth or a new car or a new house or 
501K or something instead of wasting your faith on that snake. You can handle your revelation of God any way you want to, but it doesn't change God. And you can waste his grace. You can waste his favor. You can waste his power. Grace is the greatest virtue or attribute of God. But many people want power, don't they? They think money is the greatest virtue. Power is the greatest virtue. You know, all the position, title. But positions and titles are limited. You're either going to die and go on or retire or lose your position. Power is limited based on what you have and the revelation you have of God and his grace and his sufficiency for you. So it's limited not from God or the ocean of God, but from you. Oh, I went to ocean. So when we think about God, think about his grace being all sufficient. Look, I better read the verse I was getting to first. Let me read this. Finally, Paul's talking. So you, you see Paul had some, a messenger from Satan trying to do all kinds of stuff and manifesting and stuff. Then in verse 9, and he said to me, God said to, God said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. In other words, when you come to the end of yourself, you find out the greatness of God. You're pretty good, but God is great, right? And whenever we think about what, what's this sufficient virtue, what is it, this, this grace, I think about it like this. You know, it's like if you needed certain provisions, right, from God or in your life, grace, see, see the world... And what the world can give you wants you to work for it, learn it, sweat at your brow, you know, do whatever you got to do to get it. Now, that doesn't mean you're lazy when you're a Christian, right? But you have a, an unfair advantage over the world and the world system because you know the creator of the world and all things. And you're a family member. He happens to be Papa, your daddy. And whenever we're battling these things, and, and we're in this battle, sufficiency or sufficient grace, all the enabling power of God and all the things we need from God, what is it? It's like, uh, it's like if you need something in your life and you're limited in an area, we could liken it to an ocean full of the unlimited things that you need in life. Your ability to attain the unlimited vastness of the ocean of your needs and your wants and your desires, which happen to be the ocean of grace, it would be like you coming to the ocean with a cup, filling your cup, walking away with a full cup, but the grace of God, the ocean of God is unlimited. It'd be like you bringing a huge tank and rolling it up there and filling the tank up and driving away with a full tank. You got your tank filled. You basically are operating in the limitation of grace of a tank, a barrel. You can pull a tanker truck up there and pump it out. And, and from the vast ocean of grace, the sufficiency of God, you can fill the tanker up and drive away. But you're still limited according to your capacity. And what I want you to realize is God is not limited. His Grace, when he says his grace is sufficient, 
He means it will meet all needs. So, I, I, I want to get this one statement right for you. I, I got to dig down through my notes because I kind of jumped about three pages there. Uh, let me find this because I love this little statement. So, to receive more, everybody say more. Well, first of all, I'll say this. We should never question God's grace or his limitations. Rather, we should question our own limitation. We should never question whether God could fulfill our needs or wants or desires or whatever it is we need because God is unlimited. We should never question God's sufficient grace. We should only question the limitation on ourselves. We are only limited through God by what we believe and act on. So there's no limitation with God's grace. It is sufficient. The Bible says all sufficient. There's no limit on who God is and what he can provide. The limit is on our belief system. The limit is on our revelation, the revealed understanding that we have of God and his scripture and his word and his spirit. So whenever we need more, what I want you to realize is in receiving more, is when whenever we're wanting to receive more is what should be questioned, not questioning the provision of God. Whenever we want more, need more, got to have more, and it's of God, and we find it in the Scripture, we have a right to it, we shouldn't question why we can't get more. We should, we shouldn't que we should question why we can't get more, not question God's availability and ability to give more. See, the limitation is not with God. The only reason you have a limitation on more moving from a cup to a barrel to a tanker to unlimited has to do with you, not God. God, why is everybody always picking on me? Lord, why'd they get the car and I didn't? Lord, why'd they get the spouse and I didn't? Lord, my, my. And you're, you're focused on more the wrong way. You're focused on more in a negative context versus having revelation like Paul to say, even in my weakness of need of a car, need of a spouse, need of a healing, my God is sufficient in all things. Therefore, I will stand and I will believe and I will sow and I will love and I will trust and I will grow my capacity to receive everything I need from God. God doesn't take power. God empowers. Grace is the greatest virtue of God. What's a virtue? It's an attribute of a person, their person or personality. Power, dunamis power is an attribute of God. Peace is an attribute of God, a virtue. So think of virtue and attribute, right? So peace is a virtue. God said, I'll give you peace, what? To pass your own understanding. I'll give you joy in the morning. In other words, I'll give you joy on the front row of the funeral home. And going to the graveyard in a hearse, I'll give you joy. Faith is an attribute of God. But the greatest attribute of God or the greatest virtue of God is grace, God's unmerited favor. 
It is grace is the embodiment of his son, Jesus Christ, who carries all the answers that you will ever ask or need from now throughout eternity. He is other. He is holy. He is separate. But he gave Paracletos, Holy Spirit, to live in you, to be with you, to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. God's grace is in you for your sake, but God's grace is on you for the sake of others. And as you live out your weaknesses and live out your trials and live out your problems and they see you come through it with a smile and your chin up and never curse God and never curse other people and never put other people down because they shouldn't get what they got because you're better than them. If you can get out of that worldly mindset and say, Lord, in my weakness, I'm greater. In my sickness, I'm stronger. In my poverty, I'm richer. Oh, 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 you, you just, they just took my car. Well, I've worked as hard as I can. I got laid off. It wasn't nothing doing me, but I got, I know what? God's got a better job or a better business, a better way, and I'm going to get a better vehicle than I had before. Matter of fact, it'll be seven times better than the one Satan took. That's the Bible. It says that whenever you, like, get an evil spirit out, when that, but if you open yourself back up to it, it comes back seven times worse. But he also says Satan has to repay you seven times for everything he steals from you. So it works both ways. I was talking to someone at the wedding and we were talking about the horrendous flood all up and down the Mississippi in the early 90s or mid-90s and I went there with, with our ministry we are part of and helped serve and did some TV there and I was talking to people. We'd go into small towns that would be a mile from the river this high up and they got wiped out. Never even got close to them before. It's the most horrendous flooding we'd ever seen in our nation. And what they found out is it was such a horrendous flood and went beyond the boundary so far that it redirected the river in a lot of places. The Mississippi River. So imagine if you had this beautiful piece of land along the Mississippi and you owned a thousand acres there but all of a sudden, the guy on the other side had 50 acres, and the Mississippi redirects and goes through and takes 500 of your acres. Now you got 500 acres on this side of the Mississippi. Now he has 550 on his side. It changed the boundaries of natural things. And that was a natural occurrence. How much more can a supernatural event Change natural things in your life. Say more. Say more. See, God wants you not to think you need more things, but just need more grace. What's that mean? More Jesus. Just need more Jesus. Just need more grace, more love, more, more passion and compassion. That's what for the city is all about, right? It's about us taking our grace that God's given us and releasing the grace, the capacity we have out on the city. Okay. I'm trying to just recap. So, so here's one of my all-time favorite scriptures, and you hear Elder Mark and I and others use it all the time for offerings out of 2 Corinthians 9.8, but I'm not going to read the whole thing. That whole passage is amazing. Said and God was what God is what able to make what all grace. Somebody say all, all. How much is all? All, all grace do what abound. 
When something is coming at you, it's one thing, but when it's abounding towards you, it's one thing when you have good things happen, but you have good things aboundingly happen. It can also be abundantly, right? God is able. Able is the root word of ability. God has the ability, able, or strength and power to do what? Make. See, you're trying to make it happen. That's the problem. You're, you're trying to push it through. You're trying to press in. Now, I'm not saying you don't push, you don't work, you don't do all you can do because when you come to the end of yourself, there's God. But if you don't have faith, there's God. You're just tired and lacking. There's no limit on provision. There's only a limit on the capacity which we have to receive the provision. Mm-hmm. To make what all grace abound, where? Toward me. Towards you. Look at this now. Always. Somebody say always. How often is always? See, we read the word, but don't read the word. I said reread the word, but we don't read the word. It, it, it's kind of like faith, right? How do you get faith? Faith. You get faith by what? By hearing. Wait a minute. It didn't say hearing, hearing the word. Says so you get faith by hearing, conjunction, and means also hearing. You get faith by hearing, and you get faith through what? Hearing and by hearing the word. The first hearing is your human mind. The second hearing is a revelation of God. The first hearing is I hear with my natural ears about faith. The second hearing is when it's revealed in my heart that I believe it as much as I can see my hand in front of my face right now. And I touch my skin and I know it's my hand and not a other, no one else's hand. It's my hand. It's that real. It's when faith or the revealing truth about God is greater to you than anything your natural mind could ever receive on its own. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. How can I believe in things I have not seen? By hearing with my natural crazy mind and then by hearing through the revealed revelation of my Father. How does grace abound to me? How do I expand my capacity? The same way you got saved. I am saved through grace by faith. Having your faith grow, not to believe in getting, having, or doing, but have your faith grow in the fact that your God is all sufficient and you're his kid. You're the head, not the tail, above and not beneath. You're the front, not the last. Come on, you're the. To make all grace abound toward you that you always having, there's that word again, all sufficiency in what? what? What am I allowed to have? In all things. Have an abundance for every good work. God wants you to do good works, but God is a sower. You want to be like God? He's a sower. He sowed his son for us. He sowed his creative ability by creating the worlds, the aeons, 
the, the, the stars, the moon, all the different solar systems in this earth and oxygen. He sowed the materials in the earth that we can tap into and learn how to make a chair you're sitting in. Nobody could create materials. They could take natural materials, put them together and make aluminum or something, but they had to get something natural to transcend or transfer into something different. Without the elements, there's only, I don't know, somebody in science or bio, how many elements is there? There's only, you know, what is it? Gold or, huh? Somebody knows it. If, you're, if, you, if you went beyond a freshman in college, you should know it. I'm just old and forgot it. Really, a freshman in high school, you should know it. I'm not putting you down. I'm just saying you need some revelation in that area. You say, well, you do too, but I'm the one asking. I want it. The earth is made up of so many elements, right? And so out of those elements, that's how anything can be made or created. If you don't use any of the elements that's in this earth, people are now using oxygen and water to do things, right? Iron ore, what is it? 118 elements, right? Name five of them. Five of them. Huh? Hudson knows. How, what, give me five, Hudson. Say it loud. What, say it loud. What? Here, come here. Say it for us. Titanium, barium, silver, gold. You, yeah, look. It's more than I know. It's good. So, anyway. Smarter. So, you're five times smarter than me right there. But nothing can be made if it's not used from the natural elements that God created. All we're doing is manipulating his creation. But we're limited in our mind that we're disgraced. We're dishonorable. To, we're dishonorable. We're disavowed. We're, we're disgusting. We're despicable. We don't deserve it. We're not good enough. Honey, you never were good enough, never will be good enough, don't even hope to be good enough. It's we are saved by grace, not being good enough. Yeah, praise God. This should help somebody. The key is not does God have the ability or the desire or the love to make all grace for all things to abound towards you with all sufficiency, which means more than enough. The question is, do you have the capacity to receive it? Most people, like I told you last week, when I go, I call it a, a deathbed salvation. It's better than no salvation. And I've had over the years, people ask me to come and pray with my dad, my uncle, my brother, cousin, whatever, and they're 80 years old or whatever, and they've always ran from God, offended at church, whatever, never got saved. And I'll go in, and, and I'm like, why? You've been a Christian 40 years. Oh, I just tried. I can't. So I'll go in and start talking to them. I know one thing right now. They ain't got nowhere to go. They can't get out of that bed. A lot of times, you know, they can't even talk back to you. And I'll just look at them and say, man, how you doing? Blah, 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 blah. Okay. Say, man, you ever think about going to heaven? You ready to go to heaven? And if they could talk, say, well, well, why can't you go to heaven? This first thing they say, well, why would God accept me now? I don't deserve heaven. I can't live that life. I want to say, you don't have much to live. You can't mess it up, bro. Come on, take Jesus right now. But I don't. I'm nice. I'm nice. Michael works with me over. He's like, oh Lord, yeah, he'd say that. It's not Mikey. It's Michael. Just remember that. Prince of God. So anyway, so anyway, 
I'll look at them and say, man, why, why can't you? I don't deserve it. I'm a sinner. Everybody's a sinner saved by grace. Everybody saved was a sinner. Yeah, but I had too many opportunities. Well, why? I blasphemed God, I guess. But what, honey, if you blasphemed God, you wouldn't even be here in a hospital. Getting, you'd been dead. People, I blaspheme God. You, you're not big enough to blaspheme God. If you were, you're already dead. Ananias and Sapphira didn't last very long, did they? As soon as he's revealed they blasphemed God, they carried them both out. You blaspheme God, you're dead. So other than that, get over it. Anyway, it's sad to see how many people in this room probably believe, I could blaspheme God. Yeah, you could and die. You're not that stupid. I'm not anyway. So you can't blaspheme. If you blaspheme God, then you'd be dead. What if I said his grace is sufficient? What do you mean? What if I said today is the day of salvation? Not a year ago or 50 years ago or 30. Today, the Bible, I'll read it. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Really? Yeah. To know, tomorrow to no man is promised. So God's no respecter of persons. Today is the day of salvation. Tomorrow is promised to no one. So I can't say you'll be here tomorrow to get Jesus, but even if you didn't get Jesus today, if you live, you'd have another shot. But, you know, you're kind of on the edge here. Do you want to take that chance? No. You mean he can save me? I said, he already paid for your sin. He's just waiting for you to receive the provision. 100% of the time, 100%. I, I try to remember, maybe there was one, but I, I just remember so many coming to Christ. They got revelation or faith to receive grace. And when you have faith to receive God's sufficiency and grace, there's no limitation on anything or whatever you need or whatever you have to have to walk in God. Not just talking about needing things and material things. That's a manifestation of who you are. No, talking about receiving the glory of God, the power of God, understanding, wisdom, knowledge, healing, provision. God doesn't want you to just give you a fish. He wants to teach you how to fish. Then he wants to teach you to the point that when you got to pay your taxes, he said, "Go down. you can send your son down there and say, go down there and catch a fish. The first one you catch pulled out, it's going to have our taxes in it. You laugh. Go on, laugh. Then you're limited. I'm not. I'll be crazy enough if God said, go to Lake, go to Lake Harrington and fish. I got a million dollars in a fish. Brother, I'm going. I ain't saying nothing to nobody. You laugh. Oh, that's a biblical story. That was Jesus. No, he's showing you how much he knows, how great the attribute of his faith. I tell you what, there may have been somebody tripped, stumbled in her whole purse, went into the Lake Gennesaret there, or whatever it's called. Whatever it is. One went as Greg Gennesaret and said, what's the lake there? Where Peter and the storm, huh? Galilee, and then it's also in another place of the Bible, a part of it's called Gennesaret, but Galilee. If not, I'm wrong, okay? Just get over it. Galilee. So, <laughs> I didn't say I was perfect. I said I'm perfect in grace. But anyway, so, so Galilee, right? So, so some guy could have just fell, and their purse went whoop, right in there, and this fish gobbled it up, thinking it's a big old minnow or something. And all of a sudden, Peter goes down, throws his string in, didn't even have to have a hook. The fish probably would have jumped up and grabbed the string, pulled it out. I don't know how it happened. I don't know how a brown cow gives white milk that eats green grass and lives in a red barn. I don't know how it happens, but it happened. You still drink the milk. I don't know how grace works, but I still take grace. 
I don't know how faith works, but I still operate in faith. Say all sufficient. Looks like there's going to be a part three of this one. I'm not even getting close. Praise God. Hmm. So do we have the capacity to receive it? So never put limits. If Jesus, well, that was Jesus. Oh, well, what about John 14? You will not only do the works I've done, but greater works than these. Well, that's just, he said whoever believes. Even before that, what about when he found out John, his beloved first cousin died, John the Baptist was beheaded. He stood up in front of 5,000 plus their children and said, you know, none, no prophet has ever been greater than John the Baptist. But the least of you are greater than he. They didn't even have the Holy Ghost yet. He was prophesying over what they were going to receive. Now, I'm sure a lot of them went out and started speaking to rocks and trying to prophesy and practice it, but it didn't work until they received revelation of grace by faith and accepted Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Say all sufficiency. So God is giving permission for his grace to pray for anything you have limits on in your life. God is giving you permission through his grace and the sufficiency of his grace to overcome any limitation you have that you know is keeping you from who God called you to be, enjoying your journey with God, and doing his work. Anything. Anything. His grace is more than sufficient, the Bible says. His grace is hunting you down. It's a bounty. Right now, he's used this crazy hillbilly preacher to hunt you down with my words that he put in my mouth, seeking you out to get you to remove all limits on your life. Now, you can pray and make a decision, and that's great, and that's a start to remove the limits. But you got to be conscious and focused and learn more and more about God and his word and his faith and it will amaze you how all of a sudden you'll just speak it out of your spirit like that's going to happen. She's going to live and not die. And people say, hey, how's it? you sure? Then you go, oh, Lord, did I just say my cousin's going to live and not die in the hospital? Don't say, well, I guess so. Say, so, ah, I said it. We'll see. But really, God said it through you. And your cousin lives and doesn't die. I stood up here years ago. Dermonte Dawson was a member of his church for six, seven years. And it was right before the, he was retired, you know, greatest center of all time, 50 greatest players in the NFL. And he's played at UK, and he is here with his family. And, and, uh, and they, they're moving all stuff. But anyway, he's here. And it's coming up on Sunday morning, Super Bowl was Sunday night. I stood right here, except his platform's back here. And I said, right here. I said, and he was up for the Hall of Fame. I said, Dermonte Dawson. So I said, Pitt, and anybody knows, Bill Walton, you know I don't like the Pittsburgh Steelers. <laughs> Mikey and Michael. And Sam definitely know I do not like the Pittsburgh Steelers. They don't like the Bengals, so we're even. And I said right here on Sunday morning, didn't I, Mark? And I said, the Pittsburgh Steelers are going to win the Super Bowl tonight. And I said, you will be voted into the Hall of Fame on the first ballot. Same year, and there was a ministry friend driving through, and he said, hey, come up to the hotel and let's have dinner and see me. 
watch the game. I said, yeah, I'm not sitting there. I'm like, oh. He said, well, you're not eating much. I said, well, I prophesied in front of my whole church this morning. Pittsburgh's going to win. Now I got to cheer for the, the terrible towels. Thank God they won. That's one time I liked Pittsburgh right there. And they won. The Steelers won. And he got voted into the Hall of Fame. But I spoke out of an abundance of grace. God dropped in my spirit. And I was dumb enough and crazy enough to have faith to release it out. Now, that wouldn't have changed whether the Steelers would have won or not. But it sure grew people's faith in the house. In other words, his grace is all sufficient for me to do the work that the ministry he gave me to do. And that's to build your faith. The only limit you have is the point of unbelief you have toward the unlimited grace of God in your life. 